people. This is both a privilege and an honor to be able to bring a word to you all. Um, so before we get started, we're just going to open up with a word of prayer. Father God, first and foremost, we say thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your word, Father God. Thank you for your son and for your precious Holy Spirit, who's a seal within us, um, a deposit, a majestic and wonderful deposit into these earthen vessels that we call our bodies. Father God, decrease me on tonight and increase you in me. I surrender myself to you completely on tonight and let the words that I speak, let everything be edifying to your people and pleasing to your ears. Holy Spirit, have your way and let the words that are spoken be what needs to be said for your people. Father God, we thank you again in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So tonight, just very simple. Um, Take God at his word. When God says a thing, when he makes a promise to you, and we must remember that his word is filled with promise upon promise, that he is a faithful God. He is trustworthy and he is true. So whatever he says, he will bring it to pass. Now, yes, we do bear responsibility in that. If we are not in the right position, if we are not in the right place, if we aren't in the right standing with him, then we forfeit those promises. It's not that God is not able to fulfill those promises. We just aren't in the place that he wants us to be so that he can pour them out upon us. Um, so one promise that I want to focus on tonight, and I consider this a promise, is from Psalm 91.13. And it says, you will tread upon the lion and cobra the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. And when I read this scripture, it immediately takes me to two others. Um, the first being 1 Peter 5.8, which says, Be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking some to devour. So we have an enemy, he is real, he prowls around like a roaring lion, and his only goal, only goal upon this earth is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's not just seeking to take you out and keep you from your ministry, he wants your physical life as well. He wants to kill you. He wants to end your life on this earth. That is our very real enemy. But we also have a very real God. And this God, he created Lucifer. He created this angel who took it upon himself to say, I'm greater than God. I can be master. I can be Lord. I can be God. And then we know what happened to him. The word of God says that Jesus says in the word that I saw Satan fall like lightning. And we know how fast a lightning strike is. So just imagine that was like one moment he was here in my presence, in my glory for all eternity. And the next He's here, and now he thinks he just can run amok. The second scripture that it calls to mind is Genesis 3.13, and it says, Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. I'm sorry, that's Genesis 3.1. Genesis 3.13 goes on to say, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, 
The serpent beguiled and deceived me, and I ate from the forbidden tree. So we know the enemy, he's, he's crafty, he's subtle. He's not going to come at you looking like something that's going to take your soul to hell. He's not going to come at you looking like something that's going to absolutely and utterly destroy you. But that is exactly what he is. Because when Eve ate from the tree, then she gave it to her husband, and Adam ate, then that is the fall of mankind. But why? Why was eating from that tree such a big deal? It doesn't matter what kind of fruit it was, if it was even an actual fruit to begin with. Disobedience. They decided to do something that was outside of the will of God. God had specifically told Adam. Adam had told his wife. But even when Eve ate, had Adam said, wait, had he taken his position of authority? And he said, no, my God said we will not eat. And they did not eat. We might be in a completely different place. But we are here where we are right now. And I think in looking at the picture of Adam, this is side note, looking at the picture of Adam, that men have a place, and that place is as a leader in their household, in ministry, in, in the nations. Men, you have a place, and that place is vital for obedience in the home, in ministries, in, in our workplaces, not for you to domineer, not for you to just rule with an iron fist, but for you to be in direct communion with God and for you to then bring that information to those you lead. Um, so getting back on, on topic, that was, I guess, a side note. Um, take God at his word. So here he says that we have the ability to tread upon this fiercely hungry lion. This lion that is just roaming about like all I care about is, is carnage and I just want to destroy whatever comes across my path. We also have the power to trample upon this very subtle and crafty serpent. One who can come in looking any number of ways to say that I am something pleasant, I'm something that you really want, I'm something that you really desire, and you have the ability, you have the authority to say, oh no, I'm not going to fall for this. I'm not going to fall for what you're bringing to me. I'm not going to disobey my God and thereby remove myself from the garden of his promises. Luke 10, 19 goes on to say, listen carefully. I have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, Satan, and nothing, no thing will in any way harm you. Is the enemy still coming? Oh yeah, he's not going to quit. Why? Because you are your father's inheritance. You are a child of the most high God. And if for no other reason than that, he despises you. And so he wants nothing more. And you know what? We're going to stop focusing on him so much. 
sorry, I'm, I'm kind of on a tirade, and I want to bring this back because this is all about who God is. But I think sometimes we forget that we have an enemy. We forget that he's not some little devil on our shoulder whispering bad things, and then we've got an angel on this shoulder. We forget that he's not just some caricature that we see on TV that, I mean, I've seen commercials of different TV shows, and they've got this very handsome-looking man who's just, you know, slightly bad, but he does it for all the good reasons. He gives you all the things that you want. He's very beguiling. He, he's very charismatic. And see, the world has taken the enemy and made him seem like something that is not to be feared. The world has taken the enemy and made him look as though he is something that we can control. And we have authority, but the world will tell you that you can do it in and of yourself. The Word of God says that our authority comes from heaven. Our authority comes from God. So as I said in the beginning, when God says a thing, when he tells you that you can tread upon the lion and the cobra, believe that you can tread upon the lion and the cobra. Who was that Paul who was building a fire? He reaches down for wood and the snake latches onto his arm. What does he do? Did he go into a panic? Did he run around like, ah? He didn't do that. He was like, I got work to do. He shook it off. The people around him were looking at him like they were waiting for him to swell up and die. They really thought, okay, well, he survived this shipwreck, but there must be something really wrong with this guy because God, the gods are still trying to take him out. But the God of heaven and earth, the God of the universe said, no. And he made that promise to us that no thing will harm us. Will things come? Will sickness come? Will, will debt come? Will financial problems come? Will all of those things come? Yes. But our God also, excuse me, gives us the promise we all know this, we all quote it, but you know what? We've got to get to the place where we stop quoting scripture and we start living scripture, where we start living the word, where we eat it and we allow it to nourish our body like the very food that we eat at our tables. When you eat junk, then it depletes the body of the resources that it needs. We're not able to do what we need to do because we're not feeding our bodies. But when we feed our bodies nourishingly and <laughs> So they're laughing because, you know, I haven't eaten any yet, but I will be having some blueberry cobbler and some ice cream after. But it's, we're not making a habit of those things. You don't wake up in the morning. It's not for lunch. It's not for dinner. But when you go into the word, the unadulterated word of God, and you allow it to nourish your spirit, man, you know what that does? along with prayer and fasting, it puts this flesh in submission. So when you come across those snakes and those serpents, you know whose you are, and you know the authority that you have, and then you walk in that authority. And so you, you, you tell that demon to bow at the name of Jesus, and it's me must bow, and then it must submit itself to that name, because that is another promise. There is no name greater than the name of Jesus. Not Jasmine, not Pastor DJ, not Apostle Bo. There is no name greater than the name of Jesus. And when you call on that name and you are in right standing with the Father, then yes, you have the very same authority that Jesus had when, whew, in Luke, Jesus is going to um, another place to minister, the Gerasenes, I believe it was, and this demoniac approaches him the demoniac, filled with a legion of demons. 
And Jesus says, he, he tells him to be gone. Jesus tells him, you can no longer inhabit this man. You can no longer keep this man living in dead places and leading a dead life. You can't have him. And this demon, this legion of demons had to obey the word of God. We have that same authority. When we come across someone who is hurting, who was bound, who was depressed, in any way, shape, or form, we have the very same authority. But to know how to use that authority, we must be in our word, we must be praying, we must be fasting, otherwise we end up like the seven sons of Sceva, trying to use a name that we have no relationship with. So there is a key, if not the key. In order to walk in that authority, you have to know whose you are, but when you know who your father is, you must then have a relationship with him. That would be like me saying, oh, Pastor JJ is my dad. And then I never talk to him. I never come see him. I never speak to him. I never have any kind of interaction with him, but I claim him as my father. But he, does, he doesn't even really know that I'm calling myself his daughter. And so if I go somewhere and I try to use the name DJ, they're like, uh, who are you? So I need you to go on because I don't know who you are. And so you don't have access to the privileges that you're trying to gain access to. And so then you walk away looking foolish. And God says that he will not have his children be put to shame. His children. And so it's not about just the things that you do. It's not about the things that you say. It is about a relationship with your heavenly father. You can do all kinds of good works in this earth. You can do all kinds of nice things. I was a very nice person on my way to hell, leading others to hell in my very niceness. And so it's not just about being nice. It's not just about being a good person, especially when that standard is the world standards, because we know how the world standards, they do this. They undulate. They change. I mean, one day this is good. The next day, eat eggs. They're good for you. Don't eat eggs. They'll give you high cholesterol. So which is it? You have, to, you have to go to the source. And our source as children of God is his word. His word is full of promises. His word is full of love. His word is also full of correction. And that is something that we have to grow to love as well. Because a good father, our father in heaven, he corrects those whom he loves. And I don't know if you've ever noticed a child who is able to do anything and everything that they want to do. How does that child behave? You don't want to be around them, in all honesty, because they are wild. And I've experienced this firsthand. When those children have discipline, they'll buck against it, they'll kick against the goads, but ultimately, they surrender. Why? Because they know the d discipline the restrictions, the boundaries that you are placing, you're doing because you love them. So if we as natural human beings know how to give boundaries and, and, and restrictions to our children, how much more our Heavenly Father, who knows all. So yes, this may look like a great opportunity in front of you, but until you submit it to him and he says yes, then that's an opportunity that you should, it, it's not time to take yet, why? Because our God, the creator of heaven and earth, bless you. He sees what you cannot see. 
he knows what you do not yet know. So we just have to submit ourselves like those children. I know, I, I've kicked against the goats, I've bucked against his authority, and whew, I'm glad I finally got, got it together. Because I was telling someone today, um, in this life that many people would think of as being one of nothing but restrictions and rules and you got to do this and you got to do that there's so much freedom because when you get to know the father as a father and not as a judge not as an executioner not as just someone up there with a gavel ready to beat you over the head when you know him as a loving father there's so much freedom you're like why didn't i give myself to this before Anyone else? Can anyone else agree with that? Yes, there is a freedom and it is so sweet. There is a peace. Even chaos can be all around you. But there is a peace and there is a stillness within you. And I heard or I read that when you have peace, you become peace. So when you step into that room, you're not just bringing peace with you. You are peace when you walk into that space. So then anything that is not peace, it has to bow and it's a it's a very powerful it's a weighty responsibility but the word of god says um, that we should yoke ourselves with him for his yoke is easy and his burden is light so what does that mean when two work animals like two oxen are put together they're yoked together with these their yokes there's a hole on each hand, a bar that goes across the top. And you're not going to put two animals together who are differing in strength. You're not going to put a young one with an old one. I mean, you might to train the young one so that they can know. But you're going to put together two animals of similar strength. But with God, he says that his yoke is easy. So God, the creator of the universe, he says, come on, I'll connect myself with you and you connect yourself with me. And then he will teach us how to walk this walk. He will teach us through the example of his son how to walk this walk. He will teach us through the example of Jesus how to walk in the authority that he has given us through his son Jesus. He will teach us if we yoke ourselves, if we connect ourselves with him, and that's also more relationship. I mean, if you're yoked together with someone, you have nowhere to go. I mean, that's a very close relationship. How are you going to separate yourself from that? And so with God, you don't want to. You, there's just so, an, such an infinite amount of love that when you come into his presence, when you get just a glimpse of it, it makes you hungry for more. And you're like, wait a minute, if this is just how it starts, how, how does it feel when I go a little bit deeper? and a little bit deeper, and you just keep diving in. And it's like a child who says, I'm gonna start off in the kiddie pool, and then it's like, well, that's not enough, because I want more than just my ankles getting wet. So they walk over to the big pool, and they stand up on the steps, and it's like, ooh, it's a little bit scary. But then they're like, okay, but this is still, the sun's hot, so I wanna get in the water some more. They take a few more steps, then finally they're, they're all the way in and they're standing up and they're like, whoa, this is not nearly as scary or, or as terrifying as I thought it was gonna be. Then they see the people jumping off the diving board. They don't get envious. They're like, ooh, I wanna get there. 
So they do the steps that they need to do. They learn to swim, they learn the strokes, and then eventually they get beyond that place of fear and trepidation. Because if you don't know someone and you've experienced a father who is this or a father who is that, neither of them loving or peaceful or, or, or caring, when you hear about a heavenly father who has all of these promises for you, a heavenly father who says, you can take me at my word. I will never leave you nor forsake you, nor will I leave your seed, your children and your children's children begging for bread. You can trust me. You're like, mm, maybe. But finally, you decide one day to climb up that ladder. You're standing on that diving board and you're looking down and you're like, man, that's a long way down and that water is really deep but you take a deep breath and you leap, you jump. And when you hit that water, it's like, I did it. There's a sense of exhilaration. And then you find the freedom of just not hitting the bottom. There, there's, a, it, there's no end to the depth that we can go in God. He is endless. There's no depth, no height, no width. We can never reach the end of him. So if we can have that much freedom in a body of water and a little bitty limited pool, imagine how much freedom we can have in him. How much joy, how much peace, how peaceful is it to be in the deep end and just let yourself go and float. And just let the waves of the people who are in the water just, just soothe you and rock you. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, I might go to the pool with a whole bunch of people and I forget them because I'm just enjoying the, the water, the coolness of the water. And so I guess it's no, no coincidence, no, that Jesus is the living water. So much of what, he, what God gave us in nature, we can see the love of God through his nature. We can see the love of God through the things that we have in this earth, not for them to become God, not for us to worship the things that he gave us, but for us to see some of his attributes through those things. And if we see it in nature, how much more should we see it in ourselves? We are created in his image and in his likeness. So the character of God is the character of us. If we take that time to develop it, if we take that time to find out what that character is, and that comes through relationship and obedience. Obedience and relationship, the two go hand in hand. And then as that relationship builds, you're able to be obedient because you trust. You realize, hey, he really is a man of his word. He's not a man, but he's really a man of his word. He really will do just what he said. He won't leave me. And if I am brokenhearted, if I am downtrodden, he is close to me and he will bind up my wounds. And sometimes, oftentimes, he wants to use us to do that. Isaiah 61, I have anointed and commissioned you to go and to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to pronounce freedom to the captive, jo the oil of joy, for sadness, he told, that is who we are. 
That is what we are supposed to do. And then when we do that thing, when we take him at his word, we take our authority into this earth and we do what our Father God told us to do, then that person to whom we've allowed ourselves to share our testimony, that person to whom we've allowed ourselves to be vulnerable, they are then raised up. They become who we once were. We were once broken. Someone came to us and ministered to us. Then we go out and we minister to someone else, and then they are raised up. Not in us, not in ourselves, not in what we did, but because through our testimony, through showing the world or them how God is true to his word, then they're like, let me walk with him. Let me get to know this God that you know. And because God is so immense, he is so big, so great, our words cannot begin to describe him. He's got more than enough for you and you and me, you and the seven plus billion people on this earth. He had enough for all those who are gone and all those who are coming until his son returns. He's got more than enough. Not just enough, more than enough. So when God says a thing, I'm going to come back to it real quick. It's done. But if we do not see the fullness of his promises manifested in our lives, God is not the one who needs checking. We need to check ourselves. We need to check our hearts, our minds. We need to check our thinking. And Psalm 19:14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart bless you, be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my firm, immovable rock and my redeemer. So the things that we meditate on, the things that we think about on a daily basis, not just when we're here on a Sunday or a Tuesday or any other time that we come into this building, we can't make our thoughts clean just to come in here. Our thoughts matter when we're on our jobs, when we're in traffic and that person cuts us off. Our thoughts matter when we're sitting there watching TV. Our thoughts matter when we're talking to our kids or any child for that matter. Our thoughts matter. Murder does not start simply with the act of murder. It starts in the mind. It starts with the thoughts. The Bible says a man has already committed adultery when he lusts after a woman. He's never laid eyes, he's never touched her, never laid down with her, but he has already committed adultery in his mind. So our thoughts, we have to check our thoughts. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Let's get over there real quick. We must check our motives. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, being neither arrogant nor self-righteous, regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this same attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. So it's not about what we want. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Check this out. Solomon. God asked Solomon what he wanted. Yes, God went to Solomon and said, Solomon, what do you want? Solomon answered, 
wisdom to rule your kingdom. So what was Solomon's motive? His motive and his thought was for the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom. And so what did God do? He gave Solomon wisdom to rule the kingdom. Then he gave him wealth, unimaginable. Wealth that no um, internet guru or mogul today can even begin to comprehend, much less touch. Solomon sought first the kingdom, and God blessed him abundantly with more. So we must check our motives. Why do we do what we do? Why do we say what we say? Why do we serve? Why do we serve? Do we serve just to be recognized? Do we serve just to be the front? Do we serve just so that we know what's going on, when it's going on, and who's doing what? Why do we do what we do? It's just as important as what we do. We must then check our timetable. That's 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. And it says, Nevertheless, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day, is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay as though he were unable to act and is not slow about his promise. As some count slowness, but is extraordinarily, not just patient, but extraordinarily patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now this is coming about, talking primarily about the coming day of the Lord. But the promises of God, they are timeless. This promise is just as true today as when it was first penned, when it was first written in the Bible. And it applies to, God is not slow because he doesn't know what he's doing. God is not slow because he hasn't figured it out yet. God is slow because you and I still have work yet to do in this earth. You and I still have yet to realize our true identity and our authority to go out there and impact this earth and bring heaven to earth, to push back against the darkness and bring the light in. And I say you and I, I am responsible as well. It's very easy to say, well, they may not receive this. If God has given you a word, if God has given you that unction, if God has told you, hey, go talk to so-and-so, then it's not about whether they receive you because it's not them that they're, it's not you that they're receiving. It is the word that God has put in your mouth. And whether they receive it at that moment or not, that seed has been planted. And he can bring someone to water that seed or bring someone to bring that seed back to their remembrance at some later time. And then that seed has an opportunity to grow. That seed has an opportunity to, to, to break through the soil. That seed has an opportunity to actually get to the soil so that it can find nourishment. But it takes you. Think about it this way. I am one person. My relationship with God is dependent upon me and me alone. But God has told me that I have a purpose in this earth to speak and to minister. Just heck, he's told you, you have a purpose to speak and to minister however specifically he has designed you to do it. So when you speak to that one person, you could very well be speaking to nations. Abraham was one man, but God said that through him, he would have nations. 
So who is it that you are to minister to? Who is it that you are to speak to to bring life to nations? That those nations may be birthed into this earth. And then when those nations are birthed, righteous men and women, those trees of righteousness are planted for the glory of God. Isaiah 61, uh, like six or seven or something. So we must take God at his word. Promise after promise is in this Bible. And we cannot get so caught up on the promises that we forget that we have responsibilities to ourselves, to our brothers and sisters, but most importantly, to the God who created us, to the God whose image we are to bear, to the God whose likeness we were created in. We are special. You are special. You have a purpose in this earth. Whether you have figured it out or not, you don't have to, see, you don't have to figure it out. You come into relationship with God and he's more, he's sitting, he's hovering right there and he wants to tell you who you are. He created you. You were not born by accident, no matter what your mama, your daddy, your grandma, anybody else says. You were created for such a time as this and there is purpose in your life. And he is the only one. No magazine, no celebrity, not even a pastor or a teacher can tell you unless God has specifically told him or her. So submit yourselves to him. Go before him. He loves you. He is not, he says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, ask and I will give it to you without reproach. Without reproach. Without looking at you and saying, well, why haven't you figured this out yet? without looking at you and, and, and degrading you and putting you down. He says, come to me. He sent his son to this earth for the sole purpose of you having a way back to him so that through his son, when he looks at you, he sees his beloved. When he looks at you, he doesn't see all of the muck and the dirt that he's just picked you up out of. He sees his beloved child, his son, his daughter, and when you come to him and you surrender, and you don't have to think of surrender as someone, you kneeling on your knees, head bowed with someone with a sword ready to chop your head off. Surrendering is like that little child lifting up his or her hands to his daddy and saying, pick me up. Vulnerable, open, willing, and then letting him pick you up, put it, putting you in his lap. And I keep saying this, but it is an image that I I cannot shake and I don't want to shake. Climbing up into the Father's lap, laying my head upon his chest and hearing his heart beat for me. And you have that very same access when you surrender. So, um, thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day whether now during this live stream or later on a replay. And I just pray that God will minister to you through these words. I pray that you will be drawn to his word. Don't take my word for anything. Don't take, get into the word of God. Get into the Bible and see what it says for yourself. It is written as personal as it is to me. It's personal to you. When you read it, you read it like it was written just for you and just about you. 
And when you understand who you are from his word, then you're like, oh, wow. So I'm supposed to go out there and I can do this for someone else. You turn that love from just yourself and you turn it outward. Because when you are so filled with the love of God, you don't have room for it, but you don't want to contain it. You want to share it because it's just that good. And it's not fleeting. It won't go out of style. It won't get old. It won't fall in the toilet and get cracked or something. His word will remain. His love will remain. I saw something the other night, and I'm going to close after this. And it's been weighing on me, and I'm like, God, what is this? And I feel like I was, I'm supposed to share it tonight. There's someone. Let me just, it was a dark room. There was no light. And I could not see the woman who was in the room, but I could feel her presence and I could feel her sorrow. It was gut-wrenching sorrow that it's, it's so much so that there was no sound escaping from her mouth. It was just... She was immobilized by the sorrow. And if that is you, I apologize, I should have had this at the right place. I saw that and I'm like, God, who is this? Who is this? I couldn't see her, I, didn't, I don't know who it was. But someone is out there in that moment, that gut-wrenching, just, just heartbreaking sorrow, not pain. Pain is fleeting, but sorrow, that all-encompassing. And he had me pen this prayer. Father, let your light so shine that it dispels the darkness. Send someone, send me to bring her the good news, to bind up her wounds and proclaim release and freedom. Place a turban upon her head. Let the oil of joy flow from her head down to her toes. Wrap her in the garment of praise. Change her name to tree of righteousness and let her walk and behave in the characteristics of this name. Strong, magnificent, distinguished for integrity, justice, and right standing with God. Planted by him that he may be glorified. You do not have to stay in that place. You don't have to stay in that darkness. You don't have to stay in that bondage. I decree and I declare, let there be light. Stand up and be who it is that God created you to be. Father God, I thank you for this night. I thank you for this opportunity. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for using me to speak what you wanted to have spoken to your people. Father God, see those who are here safely home. Let those who are listening online be, be impacted by these words, infected and affected by these words, not simply from my words, but by your word. And let a hunger begin to burn within their hearts for more. Like, what are these promises? What is it that he said? Who is it that he said I am? What is it that he said I can do, that I'm supposed to do? What is it? What more is there? There is so much more. You can never, ever reach the limits of him, of his love for you. 
Father God, just, 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 just wreck us, Lord, with your love. Let your presence, your glory, draw us and then saturate us as we go back out into this earth to reflect your glory. Father God, we thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word, for your promises. Thank you again for this opportunity and for your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.